0: Not long after the uh, death of former President Richard Nixon, a cartoon appeared in the editorial section of a newspaper here in Southern California. And the cartoon, I believe, captures the belief of many as to their view of what happens after a person dies. And uh, I'd like to show you the cartoon and see if you don't agree. For those of you who can't see it real well, especially those listening by tape, let me, let me explain this. There's former President Nixon is standing, it looks like on clouds, and he's got his famous victory symbols flashing over his head. And God is seated at his desk and as always God is pictured as an old man with a long grey beard and got the other way. But I take direction well, and that's important, isn't it? <laughs> So anyway, God's seated at his desk. Can you see God? Okay. All right. He's seated at his desk, and in front of him, he's got, it says transcripts, and he's got two folders, manila folders. One says good dick on it, the other says bad dick on it, and it's filled with stuff. And then you see the tapes that are laying around there, and there's an angel flying above, and he's taking messages from God, and God talks, speaks to the angel, and he says, cancel my appointments. This one may take a while. And as you look at this and consider what the statement is, I believe that a common view held by many people was pictured in the scene. What is it? What's the common view held by many people as to what happens to someone after they're dead? Yeah, there's some type of an evaluation that takes place, and it's going to depend on how good we are, whether or not God's going to let us into heaven and so he's weighing all the evidence, he's weighing all the things that are brought before him, he's got the folder out in front of him, all the good things that Richard Nixon did, all the bad things that he did, he has got the tapes in front of him, got the transcripts, got everything there, and it's like, it's going to take God a long time, in this case, to figure out what to do with former President Nixon. You know, and if you don't think that's a common view held by many people, I'm going to challenge you to consider this the next time you talk to someone, but you ask him this question, when you die, Are you going to heaven? I'm I'm glad to know that, but I'm saying that in the case of uh, when you ask other people this question, when you die, are you going to heaven? And the majority of responses will fascinate you, but they'll all fall somewhere in line with what we just talked about. Somehow or another, if you get an A, B, C, D, maybe a D minus, you know, whatever the bell-shaped curve is, God's going to grade somehow or another on your works, and and you're going to get there, and hopefully you're going to be there in the lobby with a whole bunch of really people that have done a lot of stupid things, and so the curve is going to be in your favor. I mean, that's the way we think of things, right? But you ask them, you say, when you die, are you going to heaven? And typically the answer is, I don't know, or I'm not sure, or I hope so, or then they'll throw it back to you and say, are you? And if you say yes, then they say, well, then I know I'm going to. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's kind of the way that it works. But then if you ask that person, you say, okay, well, you know what? Well, let me ask you something. What do you think for a person that says, I'm not sure, but I hope so. I, I, you know, I, I'm, you ask them, well, what do you think you have to do to get to go to heaven? And without exception, the majority of people that you'll run into in life will say something like, I'm not sure if you can ever get there, but I think that you have to be a good person. Then you ask them the question, well, what does it mean to be good? Well, and then they'll come up with, well, well, you know, just be good to people. Well, how? "Uh, Well, you know, don't be bad to people. Don't hurt people. Oh, okay. Then you did you ever hurt anybody? Well, yeah. Did you mean it? Well, sometimes I didn't mean it. Oh, did you ever hurt somebody and want to hurt them? Uh, Well, yeah. Ooh. Well, how else do you think you have to get to heaven? Well, how? Obey the Ten Commandments. What are they? (laughs) Uh, How about six out of ten? (laughs) Seven out of ten. Seventy percent. That's a C. I think I'm in. And, it's like, and then you say, well, if you're going to obey the Ten Commandments, let me ask you a question. Do you always obey the Ten Commandments? I mean, once you figure out what they are, have you always obeyed them? Have you ever lied? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever stole? Have you ever disobeyed or disrespected your parents when you were growing up? Um, well, how about go to church? You know, you've got to go to church. You've got to read your Bible. have got to receive the sacraments. You've got to do something. I mean, And see, what happens is, is that people fall back into the mindset of there's got to be things I have to do and there's got to be some things that I have to stop doing to somehow or another get that scale to balance out my favor so that God will look favorably on me and there's more good things in my life than bad things in my life. As we conclude this series that's focused on the amazing grace of God, I'm going to make a bold statement. What you're going to hear is the most important truth that any human being could ever hear in their lifetime. It is the single most important truth. There's nothing greater that you'll ever hear than what you're going to hear in the time that we spend together. It's a matter of life and death. And since it's a matter of your life and death, I would suggest that you pay close attention. No doodling, no making out lists of things you have to do today, no daydreaming, and no sleeping because it's real important that you are attentive and that you listen because we're going to conclude our time that we have spent studying the grace of God by examining salvation by grace and trying to understand what exactly that means as we look into this whole idea of salvation by grace if you've got your Bibles turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 and in the book of Ephesians this particular section we find one of the mo- one of the many passages in the Bible that gives insight on on our topic and I think it's a good idea to go through it and we'll go through it together and see what God has to say on this whole subject of salvation by grace. And consider what we've talked about as a backdrop to everything that we believe about what it takes to get to heaven. Really if I was going to have another topic of this uh, instead of salvation by grace I'd call this message are you going to heaven? Are you going to heaven? and make it personal because it really doesn't make much difference. At the end of your life, you're going to be alone standing before God. There ain't going to be anybody else with you, and you're not going to be a lobby filled with people, and it's not going to be a crowded elevator or whatever it is you have in mind. You are going to be there, just you and nobody else, and you've got to deal with this issue. That's why it's a critical issue that you come to grips with. And so salvation by grace or are you going to heaven and the answer for us here in Ephesians 2 as we look at this particular passage and we read this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, and it's by grace you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God and not a result of work, so that no one should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In this particular passage, the Apostle Paul writes to a church in Ephesus, to the Ephesians, he says this to them in verses 1 through 3. He says, there was a time in your life when you were dead. You were dead people. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins, and you walked accordingly. He says, you were dead people. Though you were alive physically, you were dead spiritually. You were dead. And that was the condition that God found you in. You were a corpse. You were dead to spiritual things. Though you were alive physically, you were dead to spiritual reality. You didn't understand the things of God. You couldn't hear God. You couldn't see God. You didn't understand God. Nothing that that about God even made any sense to you. You were dead says that's what was going on. There was a time when your thought life, you thought and you did and you justified and you rationalized all the things that you did just like everybody else around you. You were no different than the people that you lived with and that you spent time with and that you partied with and that you went out with and that you thought with and that you debated with. You were just like all the rest of them. There was nothing different about you. You were dead spiritually. You were dead. And they were dead to God. They were dead to His thoughts. They were dead to His ways. And He and He answers the question because some of us would say, but, but how did that happen? How, how did that happen that I was dead to God and I didn't understand spiritual things or even they believed that He existed? And we live in a world today where there's a whole bunch of dead people walking around spiritually. They don't understand God. Nothing about God makes sense. And they're saying, but when did that happen? And he goes on and he says in verse 3, you know what? You live like dead people because you were dead people. He goes on and says, but in verse 2 at the end of it, he says, that is now working in the sons of disobedience. In the original language, actually what it's saying is in the sons of the disobedience. What disobedience? When did this spiritual death take place in all of our lives? And if you flip back to Romans 5, we'll we'll get the answer of it. But Paul was saying that, you know, there was a time, if you recall, in your life where you were dead spiritually. And the reason that you were dead spiritually was because God said that you were dead. And in Romans 5.12, we see how this occurred. There was an act of disobedience that occurred at a particular point in time in human history. And this, he gives us the answer. He says, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all men sin. You see what he's saying? There was a point in time, a specific act of disobedience that took place that killed all of us spiritually. And he was saying, just as through one man, speaking of Adam, and it was through Adam's sin that death entered the world, and because Adam sinned and death came into the world, we have all died spiritually because of it. God told Adam one day, he said, Look, you can eat of anything that, that I've made for you. You can have all these blessings and all the, all the material goodies that you want. Look at all the fruit, look at all the vegetables, look at everything that you have, but there's only one thing that you can't do. You can't eat from the tree that's right there in the middle of the garden. You can't eat from that one. And sure enough, that sin took hold of him and that temptation, and he did what God said not to do. And God told him this. He said, listen, every one of us need to understand this. There are consequences to our actions. There are consequences to wrong decisions. And what God said to Adam was, I'm giving you the freedom to choose, but listen carefully, if you make the wrong choice, you will pay a price. There's a consequence. And we all understand that because we live in a world today, we're fortunately in our country, we have the freedom to make many choices. But we also realize this, that with that freedom comes a responsibility. And when we make wrong decisions, there are consequences to it. So what God told him was, hey, look, you can eat of anything that you want, but you can't eat from that tree. And there was a day that Adam said it looked good in his sight, and he did what God said not to do, and God told him this ahead of time. If you eat from that fruit, you will surely die. And Adam ate. And Adam died. But he said, but he still lived because God banished him from the garden. God had a conversation with him, and yes, he did live. He lived physically physically. He lived for another 900 years physically. But the moment that he ate from the fruit, he died spiritually to God. There was no more desire for fellowship with God. There was no more longing to be with God. And let me me, me explain something to you. When he died spiritually, it became evident when he ran and hid from God. And the same is true of spiritually dead people today. Though you are alive physically, let me tell you something about people who are dead spiritually there is no desire to seek after God there's no longing for God to know God to want to know God to want to be obedient to God and what he says is right or wrong there's no desire and in fact if you want to test whether or not what I'm saying is true you find a person who is spiritually dead and you try to talk to them about God and the things of God man I would come into contact with people that I know that was their condition because they told me I don't believe in God I can do whatever I want to do. I don't believe in God. I don't believe He exists. They, and then you go, they go about their life that way. So you go and you try to confront them or talk to them about God. Well, why don't you believe in God? Why don't you understand? I mean, and you go through this process and you know what? They see you coming and they run! They run! Why? Because they have a longing and a hunger for God and to know God and spiritual things and to understand God and His plan and His purpose and what's right or wrong? No, because they don't want to know. The evidence of a spiritually dead person is that there is no hunger and there's no thirst for the things of God. There's no understanding or comprehension of God. And so they are dead to spiritual things, and Adam demonstrated it when he ran and he hid from God. And man has been running and hiding from God ever since. Because man wants to be his own God. We want to do our own thing. We don't want to be submissive to anybody else. We don't want to answer to anybody else. We don't want to be accountable to anybody else. We want to be our own little gods in our own little world and do the things that we want to do. And if it hurts somebody, we'll rationalize it. And we'll justify it. And we'll give you all kind of good reasons. And if somehow we're going to be hurt in the process, we'll do whatever we can to protect ourselves so we don't get hurt. See, and that's what Adam did. And and he ran from God. And we've been running ever since as a people, as a human race, every person born into the world. And what Paul was saying is, you know what? You were dead spiritually because every person born into this, wo- into this world in this human condition has a birth defect that we've inherited. We're disabled by sin and we're spiritually dead. A famous judge traveled around the country and he was given a lecture and it was entitled, Millions Now Living Will Never Die. And a great preacher followed him on his speaking circuit with this message, Millions Now Living Are Already Dead. And he was more accurate than the first. Because we live in a world of billions of billions of people who are physically alive, but spiritually they're dead. An old Irishman was asked once to define a cemetery. He said, a cemetery is a place where the dead live. It's a little more accurate if he's describing our world. Because our world is a place where the dead live. Trespasses, what he did. See, Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And what he's saying is, trespasses is we stepped across the line. God drew the line in the sand. You know, kind of like that tough guy thing that some of us do when we were kids. You know, it's like, yeah, well, I dare to step across this line. But what God was saying in a, in a way that out of love and concern for us, He said, I'm drawing this line and you cannot step across it because the moment you step across that line, you will die. And we stepped over the cliff. And we died spiritually because of it. He said, you stepped over the line. God said, don't do something, and we did it. And we can all relate to that. Ask the person who says, I'll I'll obey the Ten Commandments. Okay, God draws the line of the Ten Commandments. Have you ever stepped over any of them? Well, yeah, but. But what? But, yeah, well, uh, there was a good reason for it. There's always a good reason for it. But the problem is, it's evidence of spiritual death. The Bible says, and it's true of every one of us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that there's none righteous, no, not one, that we've all been like sheep and we've gone astray. We've all run from God. And so it's important that we understand that that's our true condition. He's saying that you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. Even this great man of God said, you look, at, look at what he said, he said, you know what, in verse 3, and we too all formerly lived. I was just like you. This great man of God said there was a point in my life where I was just as dead as you are spiritually. I was where you were. I was dead. Whether you're a Jew, you were dead. Whether you were a Greek, you were dead. Whether you were white, you were dead. Or black, you were dead. Or red, or yellow, or whatever. It didn't make any difference what your external condition was. Spiritually, You were dead. And so was I. Have you ever gone to a funeral? Have you ever gone to a funeral? How many people have ever been to a funeral? Okay. How many of you ever gone to a funeral where the casket was open? All right. Most of us. All right. How many of you have ever heard this brilliant statement made? Well, doesn't he or she look good? (laughs) Have you ever heard that? Seriously. Raise your hand. Have you heard that? I mean, you hear this and you go, man, doesn't she look good? I say, no, she looks dead. But then they come up with something else. Well, doesn't he or she look so natural? And may be true of some of you when you die. <laughs> but I always go, no, there's nothing natural about what I'm seeing here. Because I remember when she was alive, my grandmother died, my great-grandmother died. I remember hearing somebody say, doesn't she look natural? No, she didn't look natural. When, when she was alive, that was the last thing I ever saw her do, laying in the casket. <laughs> Never saw it. But she liked to, to run around with us. She liked to tickle us. She liked to play. She liked to go out in the yard. We picked tomatoes together. I mean, there were things that we did, and she laughed and joked and had a good time. And that's who she was when she was alive. There was nothing good about what I saw, and there was nothing natural about what was taking place. She was dead. And the only thing that I saw there was the body that she had lived in. Because death is Separation the body that you see is not the person that you knew the soul and the spirit are separated from the body but the body is dead and it stays there God said he took us and he made us from dust and he said remember man that you are dust and don't ever forget that unto dust you're gonna return but the soul and the spirit that God gives will live forever so we're looking at a body it's a corpse And we need to understand that and separate and understand the difference because physical death is separation of soul and spirit from the body. But spiritual death is separation of the soul from God. We're separated from God. And we need to recognize that and understand that. There's a time in each of our lives where we're spiritual corpses. We're dead and we can't respond to God because death is separation and we're separated from God. And we need to recognize that and realize that. A corpse can't see God. You know, think about a corpse that's laying there. What can a corpse do? A corpse doesn't want to eat. I mean, you never saw the corpse at a funeral go to the reception afterwards? Say, I'm just worn out from the day. This has been a long one. I'm starving. I'm thirsty. We don't see, a corpse doesn't do that. It doesn't say the music is too loud or I'd like something different. It doesn't complain about anything. It's a corpse. It's, it's this dust. It's a big dust bunny. That's what it is. Whatever. But it doesn't do that. See, and spiritually dead people are the same. Just big spiritual dust bunnies. They, I don't know. They can't see God. They can't, they can't hear God's voice. They don't feel God's presence. They don't understand them. They don't understand. Did you ever, before you came to know the Lord, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but do you ever remember sitting down and trying to read the Bible? Was it like the dumbest book you ever read in your life? It's like, what is this? It doesn't even have a, you know, it doesn't even start out right. It's like, you know, and then someone tells you, start with the Book of John. Oh, where's that? It's in the middle. Oh, come on now, you know, it just doesn't. And then you start to read, and you go, this doesn't make any sense, because you can't hear God's voice, you can't see God, you don't feel His presence, you don't understand His, what He's saying, because you're dead spiritually. You know what? Let me tell you something about dead people you know the spiritually dead if you think about it aren't sick they don't need CPR spiritually dead people don't need resuscitation spiritual dead people need what resurrection they need to be raised from the dead they need to be raised from that condition the spiritually dead person and you know what let me tell you something the only difference between corpses is the state of decay you understand what I'm saying let me explain it. The only difference between a spiritually dead person one and the other is the state of decay. Now you may have someone who's living on skid row and is a drug addict, is an alcoholic, left his family, left his wife, left his kids, abandoned all his responsibilities, is totally lost and messed up on skid row and he's spiritually dead. And you may have someone sitting here in church all cleaned up and looking pretty and a responsible person and good to his wife and good to his children and good to his business and his employees and good to people around him and one of the quote nicest people that you've ever met and you know what and they may be sitting here spiritually dead too the only difference in corpses is the state of decay if you're spiritually dead you're spiritually dead whether you're sitting in church or you're laying in an alley somewhere Uh, on a heroin overdose it doesn't really make much difference to God if you're dead you're dead and we need to recognize that because spiritually dead people are disobedient to God if you take a look with me at verse 3 we all live this way we're disobedient to God to God's ways to his rules we all stepped over the line they're depraved. They're, they're addicted to the things that they do. They want to please themselves and please their flesh in every way possible, whether it's booze or drugs or sex or food or, or whatever it is, material things. However it is, they're a slave to pleasing themselves. And uh, what's interesting is uh, there was a guy who was given a lecture on, on his, his topic was why your dog does what it does. Now, dog lovers from all over the place came to listen to this guy who was given a lecture on why your dog does what it does. I mean, they filled up this auditorium, and this was his pearl of wisdom. He says, your dog does what it does because it has a dog's nature. Wow! That's worth the price of admission. Well, we're not surprised by that. Your dog does what it does. Why? Because it's a dog. There you go. But you know what's interesting is, but we get all confused as people sometimes when we look at one another, and let me tell you something, a sinner does what he or she does because he or she is a sinner. Do you understand that? It's natural. It's by nature. Disobedient, depraved, and as a result, he says that we are doomed that we're children of wrath, that God will punish us for the consequences of our choices the consequence of our sin nature is death when God said to Adam if you eat and disobey you shall surely die then the death sentence was executed upon not only him but every one of his descendants from that day forward we are all waiting for the death penalty to be enacted we're all on death row people don't want to hear that but it's the truth that's why it's the most important thing you ever hear we are all sitting on death row And we're waiting for the day where God will enact that judgment. And there's no hope for the dead. You stop and think about it. That corpse can't clean itself up. You gotta bring in beauticians and makeup people and people to dress them up and to make them look something so that we can all say, doesn't he or she look good? In fact, doesn't he or she look better than she did when she was alive? You know, they just did a nice job, nice makeover. You know, we gotta bring in people to do it. A corpse can't do any of those things. Can't change their condition and that's terrible news. But you know what? The news changes in verse 4. Look at it. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace we've been saved and He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He raised us up. We were dead. When God met you, you were laying in a casket. And He said, Lazarus! Come forth. When he saw Jairus' daughter, he said, Rise, little girl. The widow's son. Get out of the box and get up. Let's go. He took that dead corpse and he breathed life into it again. He said, Come on out of the grave. When you and I were encountered by Jesus Christ and we put our faith and trust in Him, God said, Arise, dead one. And now you will hear and understand the things of God. You will see my face and you will hear my voice and you will understand what I'm saying. And you can read the Bible and understand my instruction and you are alive spiritually and I'm going to raise you up and I'm going to pull you out of the grave and I'm going to give you life and I'm going to give you hope. That's where God comes into the picture. Why? Because a dead person can't do anything for himself or herself. So do you see how foolish it is for man to think that I can do something good to get to heaven? You can't. You're dead. You need God. And God, who is rich in mercy and love, came upon the scene and said, Get up out of the grave, because I'm giving you life. We need to recognize that and understand that only God can change that condition. And he goes on He says, You know what? But but why does he do that? I mean, why, why does God have to get involved? And the reality is real simple. Because dead people can't do anything for themselves. And the essentials of what we're talking about are broken out. In Ephesians, look at verse 8 through 10. For it's by grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift from God, so none of us would boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God had prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's take a look at these things. Number one, he says, you know what? We are God's workmanship. If there's anything good in us at all, if we've come alive spiritually, it's because God has done it. We are all His work because dead people can't do anything for themselves. We need to recognize that and we need to understand it. If you have become alive spiritually to the things of God, we need to recognize the fact that, you know what? God did it. It was God who did it. You didn't do it. And we need to understand that. Corpses can't do anything. Dead folks can't go to work. Although I I saw a bumper sticker I liked one day. It was was pretty funny. It said, uh, if you don't believe in life after death, you haven't seen this place at quitting time. I like that. You know, but dead folks can't go to work. Dead folks can't even call in sick. Somebody else got to call you in. I'm sorry he's not coming today because he's dead. Well, will he we be in tomorrow? Uh, you know, <laughs> typical reception. You know, dead folks can't do anything. That's why we need to understand. We need God. Only God can raise the dead. And it says that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus. Let me illustrate this with a story. The sons of a king brought the king a question. And they said to their father, "Father, is a gentleman born or made?" And the king said, "Well, what do you think?" And one son says, well, I think a gentleman is born a gentleman. And the other said, son, I don't think so. I think that you can make a gentleman into a gentleman. And the king said, well, you know what? I'll give you a week. And I want you to, somehow or another, come back here in a week and prove your theory. You say that a gentleman is born a gentleman, and you say that a gentleman can be made into a gentleman. Fine, then that's the challenge. You go out and you've got a week to come back and prove your theory. Well, the one who said that a gentleman is made into a gentleman, he goes into a tavern one day and he orders a thing of tea, tea, a cup of tea. And as he's sitting at the table waiting for this cup of tea, out comes this cat dressed up in a little waiter's outfit. And it's walking on its hind legs and it's got a tray in front of it. And it's carrying this little cup of tea out to this guy. And so the son of the king grabs his cup of tea and says, That's it. I've got my answer. And so he goes to the tavern owner and and he buys the cat off the tavern owner. And he's going to take him and display him before the king. Well, the one who says that, you know what, you know, a gentleman is born a gentleman is having a problem. Because he can't find anything to illustrate his point. He can't find anything that's going to help him to, to demonstrate that what he's saying is true. And so he's getting all discouraged and he's disgusted by all of it. And almost the end of the week goes by. And on top of all of this discouragement, word leaks out of what his brother has done. And how he's found this cat that he can dress up in a tuxedo and deliver drinks to people. And he gets all bummed out and he goes, man, there's no way. I'm like, I mean, I'm going to lose. And as he was walking back to, the, to, uh, to where he lived, he went past his shop. And he saw something in a window and his eyes lit up and he got a smile on his face. And he went in and he bought it. And he too put him in a box. And he came back out. And as they came to the big showdown before the king and all of the court. The first son says, I'd like to go first. I believe that a gentleman is made in gentleman. Then let me prove my point. He goes, and the cat comes walking out with a box of chocolates on a tray for the king. And the people are all amazed. Oh my, look at this. And they're just amazed. They're stunned by all of it. And the cat walks out, hands the king a box of chocolates. And the crowd goes wild. And the king's just stunned. And everybody's going crazy. And they're applauding. They're giving a standing ovation. And oh, it's just amazing. What a sight. What a sight. So the second son comes up and he goes, well, I'd like to demonstrate my point. He kneels down, he opens up the box, he dumps out about a dozen mice, and sure enough, man, that cat drops the tray, drops down on all fours and chases after the mice and they're chasing them all over the place and they're stunned. Why? What happened? He proved his point, that a cat is a cat and a dog is a dog and a sinner is a sinner. And we can't change our nature by dressing up the outside. We can't change what we are internally by trying to clean up our act from the outside. You know, And there are a whole bunch of people that think that they can. We did a, a, a job this past week. We put air conditioning in a home of a woman who is a nurse. And uh, she works with a plastic surgeon. And I started to talk to her about what kind of surgery, accidents, stuff like that. She goes, oh, no, no, it's not, nothing like that. It's all elective surgery cosmetic surgery I said oh that must be interesting what kind of stuff do you do oh you know the typical stuff you know take wrinkles out of people's face lifts uh, uh, breast implants tummy tucks liposuction that kind of stuff I said oh that must be interesting How huh, to be able to change the appearance of somebody from the outside you know are people genuinely satisfied with what they find afterwards she goes, oh yeah they're really happy I said do you ever have them come back and want anything else done oh yeah they're always coming back I said, well, wait a minute, I thought you just said they were happy. Well, they are with that part. But see, that's not enough. And so they come back for more and more and more. Because why? Because if a person feels ugly on the inside, nothing you do to them on the outside is going to change how they feel. They may feel a little better about themselves, but if there's a deeper-rooted problem, then you know what? It's going to manifest itself again. You can't just dress up. I mean, if you feel fat, it doesn't matter what kind of clothes you put on yourself. And it doesn't matter how many people say you look nice. If you feel that way about yourself, it doesn't change, does it? But we live in a world where people say, dress up the outside. And you can change the inside. Put on a tuxedo and all of a sudden the cat becomes a waiter. Until some mice run out in front of it. Go to church, you'll feel better about yourself. Read your Bible, that'll work. Date more. Drink less. Drink more. Do drugs. Don't do drugs. Do whatever. But somehow or another, you've got to change what's going on in your heart. And so we try to tell people, you know what, change your clothes. And it'll change your attitude. It may for a little while. And there's nothing wrong with changing bad habits. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It could save your marriage. It could save your business. It could save your life. But let me tell you something. Changing your bad habits, as good as it is, isn't enough. Because you need to change your nature. And you can't do it because you're dead. But God can. See, it was Jesus, who told Nicodemus, if you want to get to heaven, you've got to be born again. That's the only way you're going to see the kingdom of God. You've got to be born again. Nicodemus didn't say, why is it that way? What he said was, how do you do it? And that's the struggle that most of us have. We don't understand how that takes place. How? If I'm going to get to heaven and I've got to be born again, and that was his idea and it was God's words, then how do I do it? The reality of all of it is real simple. You just believe God. And Jesus went on to illustrate something, and it's important that we understand it. That when we are created in Christ Jesus, we are not improved or made better. We are made new. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away and all things become new. We're not a new and improved product. You are radically different than what you were before. You are transformed. God takes a dead person, breathes life into it, and we become spiritually alive, and we're nothing like what we used to be. We're radically different. But he illustrated it, and I want to illustrate the same thing. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 3, verse 14. And we'll put all this together. John 3, verse 14. And he illustrates this, because Nicodemus is saying, Oh, how? How's a man born again? How does a man get to heaven? What do you got to do to become alive spiritually? And he said, Listen, here's all you got to do. And in John 3, 14, he used this illustration. He said, You know what? Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may in him have eternal life. You know, so many of us know John 3.16, but listen to the verses that precede it. He says that he said, You know what? Remember when your people, the Israelites, were grumbling against God. And God just said, You know what? I'm sick of listening to you moan. And he dumped a whole bunch of snakes on them. And the snakes started to bite them, and they started to get sick, and they were in the in the process of dying. And they said, what do we got to do? Do we got to suck out the poison? Do we got to go to, you know, call 911? Do we got to, you know, offer up some prayers? Do we got to go to church? Do we got to read the Bible? Do we got to stop smoking and drinking? Do we have to stop running around? Do we have to stop having sex outside of marriage? What do we got to do to stay alive? You, say, you know what? All you got to do, let me hear Here's what you got to do. Okay, put the snake on a stick and hold the stick up. And then if you want to live, then you look up at the stick and you'll be saved. What? You want to live, you're going to look at the snake on the stick. And God used that to teach people about what was to come. If you want to live spiritually, you've got to look at Jesus Christ, who like that snake was nailed on a stick, but Jesus was nailed on a cross. And if you want to live spiritually, then you've got to look up at that cross, and you've got to thank God that that's all you've got to do. You've got to believe in Him. Because we are His workmanship created in whom? In Christ Jesus. See, that's why He says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes may in Him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave us His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would have everlasting life, would not perish, Do you understand that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus? The only way that we become alive spiritually is believe that Jesus Christ is God, the substitute for our sins who died on a cross and He rose again three days later so that we too would be raised from the dead. If God can raise people physically from the dead, He can certainly do it spiritually as well. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For good works. You know the only, time, the only time that works mean anything is after you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. After you've looked up to the cross. After you've asked God to forgive you. After you said, Lord, I believe that you died for me. And you become spiritually alive. Now you're ready to do the works that God has prepared for you to do beforehand. Not just collectively as a group of people, although that's important as well, but individually God is saying to you and He's saying to me, you know what Chuck, when you looked up at the cross and I breathed life into you spiritually, I had a work prepared for you beforehand from all eternity. You got something that I want you to do for me as evidence of the fact that I raised you from the dead. And let me tell you something folks, if you were dead and someone came to you and raised you from the dead, I got a feeling you'd be grateful enough that you would owe them the rest of your life. Amen? You see what God has done? You and I were dead. And when we believed in Jesus Christ, He raised us from the dead. And now, I don't know about you, but I got a feeling that I want to serve Him for the rest of my life. Because I know what He's done for me. I was reading an article the other day about a quarterback who used to play for Oregon. And now he's a a pastor at Calvary Chapel. His name is Danny O'Neill. He's a youth pastor. Great article, but this was the conclusion of all of it. He was a co-MVP in the Rose Bowl. Kajana Carter from Penn State was his co-MVP. Kajana Carter was the number one pick in the draft this past year. Got an $8 million signing bonus. Danny O'Brien was a co-MVP. Threw for 468 yards. Was like 41 to 61. Had just a great game. And uh, got an offer to go to Kansas City as a tryout he had another commitment that night, he had a Bible study that he had to teach, so he told him that he'd be there Friday if that would work out. He said they never called him back after that, he blew his opportunity basically. But this was his conclusion, he said this, since I became a Christian, the day that I looked up at the cross and I believed in Jesus Christ, is what he's saying, on that day, since that day on, I've always wanted to serve the Lord with the rest of my life. But I thought that would be after a five year NFL career, maybe a couple of runs at the Super Bowl, then I'd get hurt or cut or retire, then I'd go into the ministry. He said, well, fortunately, I was able to speed up that process. (laughs) Is that the greatest? That's awesome. But you see what he's saying? The essentials of salvation are simply this. We are God's workmanship because dead folks can't do anything for themselves. And we're created in Christ Jesus. It's through Him that we have life. It's through Him that we have hope. He said He's the way, the truth, and the life, eternal life, comes to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's the only way that we'll get to heaven He says God created us for good works that from that moment on that we would do things according to God's plan and according to His purposes. That we would walk with Him leading us and directing us before man plans his ways but God directs his steps. And that we would walk hand in hand to perform the works that God has prepared beforehand. And the reason all of this is, why does He save us? Three simple things. First of all, the good works may result that would do what God has called us to do for the works that He's prepared for us that we may benefit from it. For God so loved the world, what? That He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him, what? Would not perish, but have everlasting life. If you do not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, understand what I'm saying, and as clearly as I can say it, let me say it to you and explain it to you. You are dead spiritually, and you are condemned to hell for all of eternity. Period. And the only way that you can avoid going there is by believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins that's it and God will raise you from the dead and he will raise you and seat you with Jesus Christ in heaven for all of eternity in the heavenlies he says and you will have a place there and Jesus said if I go and prepare a place for you I'm coming back for you and where I am there you will also be absent from the body but you'll be present with the Lord for those who know Christ as their Savior the Bible says it's precious in the sight is the death of his saints we need to understand that. The only way we're getting there is by what Jesus did. I like an anonymous poem that I saw. It said, The Son of God who could not die became the Son of Man that He might die so that the sons of men who must die might become sons of God and never die. Man, it doesn't get any sweeter than that. And then the last thing, as it ties into everything that we're talking about with grace, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, and we'll close on this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. Why did God do all the things that he did? He says, In order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Jesus said that you have to be born again. You know what? And every mother that goes through the birthing process realizes a couple of things is true. One is you have to endure the pain, and the other thing is you have to despise the shame because there's nothing more vulnerable than being up in those stirrups in front of a whole bunch of people, and then got people with video cameras, too, saying, hey, do you want to see my my wife giving birth to our baby? I don't think so. Thank you very much. But, you know, hey, there's nothing like it. You endure the pain and you despise the shame. Why? For the joy that's set before you. Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus Christ went to the cross and He endured the pain and He despised the shame of those who called Him names and spit on Him and slapped Him and bruised Him and pierced Him. Why did He do that? For the joy that was set before Him. And that joy and part of it was not only His glory but also our resurrection from being spiritually dead. Do you understand how awesome that is? And you know what he says? And the reason is so that throughout all of eternity, we are going to be God's trophies. You ever have a trophy on a shelf and you look at it and remember what you did? You know what we're going to be? We're going to be God's trophies for all of eternity. Every, any creature of intelligence is going to look at me in heaven and say, Man, it's only by the grace of God that that dude got here. And they're going to give God the glory, and they're going to give all God the praise. Because it's not by works that we're saved, but it's a gift of God so that no one should boast. And I want to tell you something about God's grace. It is amazing. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your amazing grace. That there was a time in our lives where we were dead, but we heard only your voice calling for us to come forth. No, one's, no, one other, no other voice could do it but yours. It's only through the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God moving in the lives of men and women that they can even hear your call so they can respond accordingly. God, it's by grace we've been saved, your amazing grace. Just by believing in Jesus Christ, you tell us that we will be raised from the dead and exalted with him and placed in the heavenlies for all of eternity so that we will be trophies of your grace so that each one of us will be amazed at what you did for us. God, if we only understood the depravity of sin, if we only understood our true condition of how dead we really are, we would stop trying to work our way into heaven, we would stop getting caught up in cartoons that try to teach us that, oh, we just have to do more good things than bad. God, help us to leave here today realizing that dead people can't do anything for themselves, but only you can raise the dead. God, I just pray for anyone that's here or listening that has never given their life to Jesus Christ. They've never come to that point point as they hear your voice today, that they will do so without delay. Because the wages of sin is death. A separation from God, from you for all of eternity. God, help us to understand the seriousness of this. But you say, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's in his name that we praise you. Amen.